1: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
2: okay podcast episode 63 with me dan the fitness man talking about money say what yeah we're bringing jeff bynum back on dude's a financial advisor He's a wizard when it comes to finances. He's actually just really down to earth and very practical. That's why I like having him on. We're answering your guys' questions that you sent in via social. Very cool. We're going to tackle some stuff as far as planning for elk hunts financially. Also with your future, your retirement, how to communicate with your spouse and things like, oh, how much house to buy and credit cards, all that kind of stuff. So going to be a pretty cool episode. What's new with Elk Shape? We're getting ready to launch the second Elk Shape camp. Registration is going to go live probably early April, limited to 40 athletes. So you're going to want to get in on that. It's going to be back in Spokane, Washington. The reason why we have 40 athletes instead of 20 this time is because I brought in my old buddy, Kitten Claremont from Train to Hunt. He's going to put on a private Train to Hunt course with instruction bringing back josh jones spokane valley archery so we'll do some private archery coaching and go over how to tune a bow in person work on third axis and then obviously we're bringing dirk back the bugler we're going to work on elk calling we're going to have more of a small group scenario with stations so guys are really going to get a lot of one-on-one time with myself dirk and i hope to bring ryan lampers but we'll see if he makes it back in time from new zealand which is probably a better option. Pretty stoked about that. So be checking socials, elkshape.com, Facebook, YouTube. We'll we'll announce it there and you'll be able to get registered and price and all that stuff's going to be real close to the last one. We're just going to deliver even more value. Should be a life-changing weekend. Other happenings, we got a lot of content on YouTube. Check out the Elkshape YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Elkshape. As far as offers for Elkshape listeners, I I got a new one, guys. The Siberian Cooler Company is back in Elkshape. That's right. They're pretty blue-collar. They're about 25% less than, say, fancier brands out there, (coughs) Yeti, Um, which is cool because that's 25% you can put in your gas tank or buy more elk tags, and they're just as good, if not better i 'm rocking the alpha that eighty five quart. and so i 'll be get to use that this fall, possibly this spring on some bear hunting so if you guys want ten percent off an order, I think it 's got to be at least two hundred bucks. You can go on to the Siberian, the the links in the show notes and punch in Elkshape 2019 and knock 10% off your order. If you guys want to check out Corey Jacobson's University of Elk Hunting, which is a good idea this time of year, you get 20% off by entering Elkshape. And then uh, if you want to take the supplements that I'm taking, go to FNX Supplements, look them up on the interwebs or use the link and punch in the code Elkshape, you'll get 15% off your order. Thank you all you sponsors, especially hard work. Discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. I love you all. I appreciate your guys' time. I hope you get a lot out of this episode. You can reach out to me anytime on Instagram or you can send me an email, elkshape at gmail.com. Hope to meet many of you at the next Elkshape camp. And without further ado, this is Jeff Bynum and we're talking money, money, money. Elkshape podcast, recording live today in Sandpoint, Idaho, gorgeous city. Uh, actually, ugly city. Don't ever come here.
3: <laughs> North Idaho is horrible. It's
2: terrible. Yep. We're doing round two today. Jeff Bynum, and he's gracious enough to invite me over to his house. We're going to sit down and record. I had the two-hour drive to myself and uh, got here. And just in the nick of time for you to drop knowledge on all thing money and uh, really get to you know, go a step further than last time. So if you guys didn't check out the last podcast, um, look it up. I think it's called Fiscal Fitness with Jeff Bynum. Uh, you can look that up. That one's very popular. Download that. Why I was like, well, we probably should do number two. There was a lot of follow up questions. So, um, for those that have never listened to the Elkshay podcast, man, this podcast is about elk hunting, but we use elk hunting. We leverage it to talk about more important things like discipline, discipline in your faith, your family, your finances, your fitness, your nutrition, shooting your weapons, scouting. All those good things will happen when you have a why, and elk hunting is our why, and we put that elk filter on, and we make way better decisions, and become the best version of ourself, and if uh, you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, I just want to say thanks for for all your support, and uh, without further ado, Jeff, how are you doing today, man?
3: Man, doing great. I uh, woke up this morning, and it was snowing again, and it's whatever, March 6th or 7th, and... I'm over it. I'm ready for spring. Ready for spring bear hunting.
2: Oh gosh, those bears are sleeping, man. I mean, they're <laughs> they're probably not even peeking out much right now, and they're they're having nightmares about you and me because they know we're coming. <laughs> it's gonna be a late bear year. Um, asked me a month ago, I would have said, "Oh man, it's gonna be such a good bear." Like I was literally kind of making plans for April fifteenth opener. Yeah. Not anymore.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, little known secret about me, I have yet to kill a bear. So. I am uh, I, I'm due for a North Idaho bear. This is you live in fun.
2: a high density area, man. I I especially like right out of Sandpoint from here to the other side of those Selkirks. It's loaded in bears. Yeah, you know, and there's probably too many. Really, you guys are living up in a unit where you can't bait for bears. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the exact boundary, but we're real close to the line, and it heads north to Canada. But you can bait, obviously, other places in Idaho, but. One of the last few states you can bait. Baiting's cool. We're going to do a bear uh, podcast for spring um, in about two hours. Okay, (laughs) I'm sitting down (laughs) with a buddy. Um, It'll be the next podcast, and he's driving all the way over from Libby. I think you know him, Josh Boyd. Yep. And I don't think he knows this yet, but we're talking bears because he's – He's a really good spring bear hunting yeah. kind of guy, and um, I have a list of questions that people have sent me about bears, so we're going to get into bears, so you'll have to listen to that one. Oh, absolutely. Pick up some tips, but let's talk about money. Yeah, let's, let's do talk, it. Let's talk about, this. Uh, you know, we basically put it out there last week on Instagram. I said, hey, direct message me or Jeff and send us your financial questions. Now, there's a good reason why I had people do that. I'll let you explain.
3: Yeah. So, I you know, I think, first, let me just say, if you haven't listened to episode 57, where we where we kind of talked about financial planning and just kind of generally kind of shared my story, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that first because in that conversation, I laid out how the financial services industry is built and how it's this giant sales chassis. And as consumers, we've been taught to kind of think and act a certain way when it relates to our finances. And oftentimes, that the the way that we've been... Taken down a path to make financial decisions is kind of in a silo approach where we think it's this or that, and we try to look at it from you know a rate of return or an interest rate standpoint. And oftentimes, what we don't see is the bigger picture and how all these things have to fit together. So, when we put out some of these questions, we got some great questions, some great feedback um, in this format and podcast format. I'm going to do my best to try to answer some of this stuff specifically, but. Uh, A lot of it, I'll just have to be careful because this is going out to the masses. So, um, but I think if there's one thing you can pick up out of any of this is that any decision you make anywhere within your, your world financially, it's going to create a ripple impact throughout your financial balance sheet and understanding that ripple pack, ripple impact, that's going to allow you to be able to make decisions that may be somewhat countercultural. But you'll be able to wake up in five years not having created some sort of unintended consequence in your life.
2: Yeah, I like being countercultural, honestly. I want to live now, you know, a little more disciplined, you know, rigid, so I can live like others aren't living in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think elk hunting and finances have a lot of parallels. Hear me out uh, the ripple effect, the delayed gratification, like, Not succumbing to what you want now, but Mm -hmm. knowing what you want down the road and working day in and day out towards that goal, whether it be financially or your fitness or that elk hunting process, they go hand in hand. And so that's why we talk about it on here. I have a lot to learn about finances. You know, I'm still struggling and working through my own situation and my scenarios. I definitely don't have it figured out. Um, but I've done some good things, too, along the ways that I'm super proud of. But uh, like anything, when it comes to elk hunting, uh, there's a school of hard knocks. Same with, with finances. And if we could just help people avoid a few of the pitfalls like sure. we do with elk hunting, yep, I think people will be better served. And so that's why I'm bringing you on. So let's get to some of those questions that we got sent. Um, do you remember the first one you wanted to tackle?
3: Yeah, you know, I got a question. Um, and the gist of the question is, is it better to pay extra money towards my mortgage, or start investing. And, you know, we were sitting here talking about some of these questions before we started recording here. And, and oftentimes you can, in my position, I can see where someone is coming from by the way they ask their question. And, and so when I got that question, it's, it's a question that I work with my clients all the time on. But it's something again, that kind of goes back to that silo approach, they're looking at it this or that. And the answer for it just totally depends on the individual, depends on what's going on in their world. And if you don't have the appropriate components of your world financially, the right liquidity, the right protections, um, different kinds of money, uh, you know, short-term liquidity, mid-term assets, uh, long-term assets, um, it's hard to answer the question. Yeah, And so- I've seen it go both ways where I have clients that, um, matter of fact, I was just working with some clients, uh, in Texas and they're buying their first home and uh, husband, wife, they're young newlyweds. And they had the opportunity to buy this house and they were either going to do a 15 or a 30 year mortgage, which is essentially the same question. Should I put extra money towards my mortgage? And normally I'll, I'll say 95% of the time I stay away from 15 year mortgages. I can, I can explain that later, but in their situation, um, it made more sense from an interest rate standpoint uh, and because right now they're both still working and their goal is within the next five years for his wife to become a stay home mom, maybe opening their own business. And so we looked at the amortization schedule of the 15 year mortgage. It's going to be the mortgage will be paid down enough so that in three to five years he can refinance to a 30 year mortgage, have it be the appropriate amount of his cash flow, cash flow for a single income and his wife has the ability to stay home. She, they're not dependent on her income at that point.
2: And we talked about on episode 57, um, the debt to income ratio and that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. You, I believe you said it was in that 15 to 20% range. Yeah. And we, we're not going to explain mm-hmm. that. If you didn't catch that, go back and listen to that. But um, after that podcast, I did some calculations. Okay. And sir, I was at 29%. <laughs> and I was like... Gosh, dang it. And uh, I yelled at my wife because she bought our last house. (laughs) And I said, this is, see, uh, we need to sell this thing when we're done remodeling it and make some cash off of it. But it's not really an ideal time to buy in our market where Spokane market just keeps kind of going up and up while others are starting to cool off. It's been kind of just still pretty hot. Like inventory is limited and it goes quick and it's kind of a, a seller's market. So my point to all this was we've had a goal to pay off our cabin first, and kind of, we're working on our snowball debt, if you will, if sure. you're a Dave Ramsey person. And if you don't know what that means, you kind of start with your smallest debts first and kind of work your way up the ladder. Yep. And we started at the very bottom. We didn't have $1,000 cash in mm-hmm. case something went wrong. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of like in a position where we'd have to put it on a credit card if something, it's not if, it's just when, right? When mm-hmm. something's going to go wrong. You live in this world long enough. So we didn't have 1000 bucks saved up. Uh, Alicia had two different credit cards. Mm-hmm. She had a car payment. Mm-hmm. She had school loans. We're married, so her debt's my debt. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any debt because I, I was kind of somehow lucky enough to just work a lot yeah. throughout college and pay cash for school and everything. Bit of but an anomaly. Kind of a weirdo, <laughs> but kind of a workaholic, too. I think everyone knows that about me. I'm just a worker bee. But, uh, yeah. And then we had our house, and uh, we, I just started a business, too. I just started a gym in 2008 with $10,000 I threw in the pot. <laughs> And it didn't take a salary for a year. And I was kind of living off my savings from and working in a side job. Mm-hmm. So all that is to say we we were kind of struggling, but we worked on our snowball. And when 2008 happened, I also thought it would be a good idea to buy a cabin for hunting with my dad in Idaho. And we've always had wanted to do that. We had looked in this area. We looked in Montana, but we were elk hunters Before I met Alicia, I was elk hunting, and we knew we wanted to buy something together to hunt out of and to kind of have a vacation home. Well, we did it. I found it. We bought it in 2000, actually 2007, and before I met my wife, just before I met her, like I think I met her a couple weeks after I bought the cabin, and I got to show her it. Kind of like, a, hey, <laughs> hey, look at well, me! Look at me! <laughs> yeah, I'm big, really in debt. A big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so back to the snowball effect. We we kind of built up some systems and some budgeting and worked our way, and eventually paid off a lot of stuff, including vehicles. And um, we now our two debts are two mortgages: one on the house we live in, and one on this cabin that I own fifty-fifty with my dad. Well, at the time, I put the down payment on the cabin because my dad, uh, bless his heart. Just not the greatest with finances. He didn't, he wasn't in a position to put anything down. So I had, mm-hmm. I put 10 down on a $190,000 cabin and we've owned it for 10 years mm-hmm. and we've never made extra, uh, payments to the principal, but we have put a little bit of extra each month, Okay, you know, sure. And it added up and I think our balance was around 140 last week and my dad and I both decided to put 20 grand each as a one-time payment towards the principal. We called the bank, the loan, said, can we do this? Mm-hmm. And it's a $250 fee. They'll do it one time, and then they'll re amortize it yep. based on what – so it will be amateurized at 98 k Okay. And our goal is to have that thing paid off in three years. So in three years from now, I would like to have just one mortgage, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to get – figured out how to pay that thing off because I kind of want to live debt-free. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. And then my financial advisor kind of wants to choke me. Because I just put $20,000 that I had liquidity towards uh, something that I was tired of paying lots of interest on. And um, I told him I didn't care about writing off any interest tax. And I told him that, uh, you know, I, I, I he's, he tried to sell me on some, you know, um, some sort of mutual fund that was easily accessible if you needed it, all that kind of stuff. So I just told him uh, no. Yeah. And he's not a hunter. He's not like a... We're just on a different page a little bit, but I've been with them since I was twenty. I've had an IRA since I was twenty, yeah. So I'm loyal, but uh, it's okay to just say no, right? So does that make sense? I kind of did what this guy's asking you. We just went and did it. So I'd love for you because you can talk to me about my situation, guys. I'm an open book. Like it is what it is. Like I'll tell you anything you want to know. But um, did I just screw up? I I don't know. Like yeah. that's
3: that's the thing. It's it's really hard to say because it depends on what's happening in the next five years. Um, you know, one of the big challenges we saw in two thousand eight two thousand nine when we when they had this whole economic crash, um, business owners were depending on their equity for liquidity for emergency purposes, and they using lines of credit and. As they were going through business and they were pulling from that, putting it back, it was one of the first things that even with perfect credit, banks came in and completely wiped out.
2: Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, and so we had business owners all across, all across the country that their, their means of doing business was just stopped by a letter that they received in the mail. And so um, liquidity, throwing $20,000 at your mortgage, may or may not make mathematical sense. But at the end of the day, financial planning doesn't always make mathematical sense. Okay. Um, and this is something that I that I tell all my clients is our job as financial planners or investment advisors is, is not to tell you what you really should do. Our job is to make sure you understand the, the paths that you could go, where they will take you, and you'll make whatever decision is right for your family. And so I have clients that throw extra money at their mortgage. I have clients that will throw 20 grand at a cabin or, or whatever. And it may not make mathematical sense when you run it in a spreadsheet, but life doesn't happen in a spreadsheet. And so um, it's, you know, you know, one of the questions you ask is how do we find financial advisors and what should we look for? Um, and I think that's one of the characters that you need to look for in a financial advisor is he's going to support you regardless and allow you to do whatever you think is best for your family as long as you have all the information. Um, and so, uh, if you, if you should take 20 grand and throw it at your cabin, really kind of depends on the rest of your liquidity. Um, as a rule, typically I'll have clients save up and keep just in a savings account, money market type of environment, three months worth of expenses.
2: So we're at six. Okay. And so we got that checked off and we have a whole bunch of envelopes. They're now electronic at our bank. So. That's why I was like, hey, I, let's put this extra 20. Sure. And my dad, ha, he had to tap. He's retired, but he was kind of like looking at it, the whole stock market thing. And his, his retirement uh, 401k was kind of going down quite a bit. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm getting old. I, I, I'm going to pull some out of it right now. And so he matched us by pulling out. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he wanted to do more and more. And I was just like, you know what? How about just once? And so our goal is, and I'm advertising it once a year, yeah. 20 each for the next three years. Yeah. We'll have the title in hand and we're doing the upkeep and, you know, it should go up in value unless it burns down in a wildfire and (laughs) life could, that could very well happen. You know what I mean? So there's no, there's no safe, like there's no no safe plan. You know what I mean? There's no safe route. Like there's just calculated decisions. And this is one that I felt pretty good about. Um, And I would love, and just from like a personal standpoint, I would love to have this cabin paid off. And when I'm not here anymore, I'd like that title. To go right into my son and daughter's hands. Absolutely. And hopefully they don't make mistakes and just sell off something yeah. that they
3: inherited. So, that, I mean, that's a great example of life doesn't happen in a spreadsheet, man. You you want to accomplish something. You want it to be yours. You want it to never be taken away from you um, unless you don't pay the taxes. But
2: uh, <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a tough I, lesson. I hope I no one has to learn.
3: <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. But um, the fact you had six months liquidity. Mm-hmm. So three months liquidity is, is the beginning component of that. But eventually I try to get all my clients to where they have a year's worth of liquidity. Um, and a year's worth of liquidity allows you to do things like drop 20 grand on your cabin. It allows you to do things like go out and find a a distressed property and become a real estate investor to Mm. partner with somebody, become a business, um, particularly business owners. I, 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 work with all my business owners to get them to that year's worth of liquidity, on their personal balance sheet, but as well as on the business balance sheet. Yes. Um, and I think oftentimes people people get this sense. I was, I was talking with clients over in Seattle last night, and they just have this sense that they need to be throwing money at investments, and they need to be getting this high rate of return. We need to be overfunding our 401ks, and we should be looking at stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and all this stuff. But yet in their world, they're not there. And there's nothing wrong with investing. Um, investing is a it's a... I would say it's required. If you want to reach retirement and have the best chance of replacing your income, you need to have investments. They're a key component. But one of the biggest problems that's happened in the investment industry is there's been this over-reliance on the investment component. And so people will have uh, what I would say an inappropriate amount of money in the investment environment without enough money in a liquid, safe, stable environment.
2: Yeah, you're talking my language, ma'am. And it, I think that philosophy that you're talking about, I just haven't heard a lot of people say that. Seriously, you're one of the first because that, you know, it's just not common knowledge, or at least it's not common sense or whatever you're saying. But I hope people are listening. And I want to talk about the parallels between what you're talking in my world of fitness. Like, you didn't get fat. In a couple of weeks, okay? <laughs> and you're not going to get like, unfat. Did you just call me fat? I'm not sure. Not talking to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not talking to you. you Got a know. little bit
3: of a dad bod going on, but I'm working on that. <laughs> no, you're killing it. But I think
2: people know what I mean when it comes to, like, yeah. people that have 50 pounds to lose, hey, you didn't gain that in a couple of weeks. It yeah. took you a while, and yeah. it's also going to take you a while, if not longer, to lose it if you want to keep it off. And if you look at where I'm at, I'm, I still have goals that I haven't achieved financially. Um, but we've come a long ways and we've chipped away slowly and there was ups and downs and there's a parallel with that in your fitness goals and any other goal. Mm -hmm. It, It takes some discipline and it takes some getting back up off the ground. Yep. So it's not easy. It's not instant. Like a lot of people like nowadays. Sure. Instant gratification. Yep. Um, they like their likes on social media and their comments. <laughs> it happens real fast. No, this is a real slow process. Um, the, problem, the problem that people have is if they get, if they get too far ahead
3: of themselves um, and they don't have a strong foundation, they don't have six months worth of liquidity, and they want to they wanna start throwing money in, in places, um, it only takes one life event to completely uproot their entire strategy. And in the investment world is great. I have I invest with my clients all the time, but it I, I have to make sure that they're in a position to handle whatever life is going to throw at them so they don't have to implode their investment strategy when, uh, you know, uh, who knows, their transmission goes out or they need to put a roof on their house or... They have an opportunity um, to to go expand their business, we need to make sure that there's that accessible money there as well, so that we can let the investment strategy do what it is supposed to do, which is grow over a long time horizon.
2: I don't know if a lot of people can wrap their mind around that. You need a stack of cash to be able to go after opportunities, and you never know when they're going to come, and then you could have this stack of cash... And it's almost like you have to block yourself out of it and then just just be patient. That yeah. opportunity will arise. Yep. And now you can do something about it yep. versus stay on the sidelines or heavily leverage yourself. And then you have that additional stress. And I think ultimately that's all I'm trying to do is lower the stress level. And don't let anything own me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been my philosophy. And my wife, you know, she's been super supportive. But we have our struggles. I mean, you know, I'm that's very weird. rigid. Yeah. I'm very focused. And it's a strength and it's a weakness. You know, you have to look at it both ways. So it takes two people really communicating and get on, you know, we weren't always on the same page like I shared in our last podcast. We (laughs) didn't share a same checking account for over two years. Mm -hmm. And I did that on purpose, and it was a huge mistake. We should have been in from day one because synergy, teamwork, not sabotage. Yep. So um, let's get into another question. There's so many to go through, but I think if we just go one by one and really do it justice and then – I, I can think of a few, too, that hopefully you can answer off the cuff as far as budgeting questions go. But um, let's see what the next Do you have them written down? Oh, man. This one's a long one. I'll save that for another. Okay. So I don't know if you can answer this one. All right. But we'll give it a shot. All right. He writes, I try to live off a percentage system. Okay. Set a set per- percentage, doesn't say what off what the check is so a percent for a tithe which i like mm-hmm. taxes which is inevitable etc mm-hmm. uh, etc cetera, et cetera. then live off the remaining how much percentage to save in cash versus set aside for say ira or quote other investments and then he has a dot 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 what do you think about ira 401k as it applies to him a self-employed guy
3: uh, self-employed.
2: So there's two yeah. kind of questions, but is there any rule of thumb on percentages? Like you did that debt-to-income on house. I thought that was really cool.
3: Yeah, and again, this is this is pretty generalized, Yeah, but everybody's situation is a little different. Um, as far as setting aside for taxes, I, I encourage, unless you're in the very upper echelon tax brackets, um, set aside 20% of your gross. Uh, you've got to set that aside for taxes as a small business owner. And that. That may leave you close. You may end up cutting a small check, but um, at least you held on to the money At least you held on to the money. I can't tell you how many business owners and I and like these are things that I've just learned from my personal experience. I have not set aside the taxes before and and I've been caught off guard by it personally so um, it, it's something that you need to do. Uh, as far as savings, the percentage of your income that you need to be saving, you need to strive and seek, try to figure out how to get in that 25 to 30% savings range, which sounds absurd.
2: It does. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's crazy.
3: And there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into why that number makes sense. It has to go back to the seventies when people lost pension plans, they kind of went away. And then all of retirement planning shifted to relying on 401ks. We can, we can talk about that in a bit, but with twenty five thirty percent, so if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, you need to be trying to set aside twenty five thousand dollars. Where that twenty five thousand dollars goes completely depends on your situation. If you don't have liquidity, you need to pull all of that money and build your emergency fund. If you don't have, if you're not at that three months, and then the next step is kind of six months. Once you kind of get to six months, you can start dividing and conquering a little bit of uh, of where your savings goes, but. Uh, especially as a business owner, you've got to have that that extended emergency fund. Um, once you get into that six months to one year's worth of expenses set aside, then it starts to make sense to take advantage of different retirement vehicles, which one just totally depends on your business. Yeah. Um, depends if you have employees, depends on your income, depends on your, your total assets and what you're trying to accomplish tax wise. Um, so I have clients with all of them. i you know, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401k, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs. It all depends. They're all designed a little bit differently to fit each person's situation.
2: So this gentleman who's self-employed, is there, isn't there an IRA he could do for the business where his business matches something that he?
3: Yeah. So he could do a simple IRA right? Um, and a simple IRA. I've got a, I've got a client that's a construction company. They want to be offering something to their employees, but Mm -hmm. a simple IRA is a little bit rigid where they they're required to put 3% in on behalf of everybody in the company. And so again, that goes back to if he's, if he's self-employed and has employees. Is that something where he wants to take on that requirement to do that? Um, I have a lot of clients that are, they're, they're the only employee within the business and they'll do a SEP IRA and SEP IRA rules are different. They could put in up to, don't quote me on the numbers, but it's around 25% of their gross income oh, wow! or up to like 52,000. The numbers kind of change all the time, whichever number is the lower That's number. That's pretty legit. Yeah. And, and so that works really well for someone that's just in, that's self-employed and it's just them. Um, 401ks. And again, 401ks are a great vehicle, but it depends on where the business is at in its, in its lifespan. If they've had retirement plans before, a lot of people want to have a 401k, but they're kind of expensive as a startup plan. So a lot of clients we, we work, will will use some sort of IRA platform to build up some assets within the company plan. And then once you get one hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars 200000 inside of that environment, you can roll that over into a 401k, and it makes more sense at that point. But 401k is a startup plan. They have some administrative fees that can be, a, that can be kind of expensive. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, there's not.
2: I like that he said, Ty, that's cool. I yep. always say you can't out God. All he's asked is 10% yeah, off. Yeah, test that one. That's a great
3: Test that one, that yeah. That one. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, what else did he say? He said... um. Save aside for taxes and then saving. I feel like we covered it. I mean, that's pretty basic questions. I think you made that easy on me. I thought that might be complicated, but this one to me is complicated. I got a question. What about CDs or Roths? I don't have any CDs, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've tried once. What are the best ways to start saving while you are still young slash in college? When would be a good time to start a 401k or some other retirement form?
3: Yeah. Um. Roth IRAs, uh, aren't a bad idea when you're younger. Um, they're not a bad idea ever, but it, again, it goes back to, you have to have the other components of your world financially in place before you start putting money at risk. And, and so people like to compare a Roth or a CD and they're two completely different types of assets. One is a savings vehicle. One is an investment vehicle. One is uh, one grows tax free. One grows taxable. One is protected from creditors. One is accessible to creditors.
2: That would be the CD.
3: That would be the CD. Right, and and that goes for all money in your in the bank accounts. Though that money is accessible to creditors. Money in retirement accounts is protected from creditors. So, um, it and it depends on. What your life looks like over the next five years? Are you are you getting married? Are you trying to buy a house? Are you do you have do you have the liquidity built up for those different things? If you do and you still have leftover income and you're saving 30 percent of your income, let's yeah let's get a, let's get aggressive and throw money into the into a retirement vehicle. I can't say whether or not a Roth is exactly what correct. are
2: CDs doing. I have like, like oh, what geez. percent? Like um, sorry, I haven't looked yeah, at one in so long.
3: Jeez, uh, I think. So I had a client a couple weeks ago. Uh, they they had they could take seventy five grand, I think, and lock it up in a CD for eighteen months, and I think they got like two point eight percent or Who something cares? like that.
0: Who cares?
2: <laughs> what is that?
3: That's well, it, and so CDs. CDs still have a place. Yeah, tell me um, about
2: that place because I'm having a hard time <laughs> wrapping my mind around that. Uh, it,
3: the place is for people that are in retirement that don't want to put their money at risk, their liquidity at risk.
2: Okay, that these, makes
3: sense. These people have a couple hundred thousand dollars just in their bank account and we're we're we're, we're moving that money around and doing things with it, but they, they went to their bank and this is just kind of classic, the way the financial services industry works. They walk in their bank and... Their teller knows how much money they have in their account, yeah. and they've been told by the bank, hey, if you have this profile of client, you need to tell them about our CDs. And there's no level of concern on whether or not that's the right thing for the client. And so the client hears it they think, oh, I can get 2.8% where I'm only getting a half a percent in my money market account. That's better.
2: So they would make $1,500 over 18 months? And pay taxes on it. And then they'd pay probably, what, 30% of that? Yeah. So they'd make $1,200 in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you like buy some cool stuff and like <laughs> flip it on eBay and make double your money real quick? I don't know. That's crazy talk. Yeah. All right. So yeah, CDs. I just I don't see I just don't see it. But I mean,
3: so I, I've got another client, um, and and she uh, she's growing up. She's one of those people that you hear about where she grew up and she's received income from a trust her whole life. Oh, um, one of those people really one exist? Them, they do. Yeah, they're, they are unicorns, but every now and then you capture one. So <laughs> this gal, uh, she, she's fairly old. Um, she's got like $1.3 million just sitting in banks. And then she's got a bunch of money invested that she's never needed to take income from because she's still receiving this, this, these distributions from trusts. And so she may end up being a CD investor you know, we're looking at different products and strategies, but her main goal is to pass the money along to her kids. Oh, that's cool. And so we're looking at some insurance-based products. Um, we're looking at some annuity type of products. Um, but at the end of the day, we, to keep the money in a bank or to put it somewhere, if, if we can't put some other strategy in place that's going to do more for her, she's probably better off having the money in a CD if she doesn't want to put it at risk.
2: Gotcha. Well, we're gonna take a little break from finances for a second. Let's talk uh, real life. So, last time I had you on the podcast was like a month ago. Yeah. Okay. So you've been doing CrossFit Uh for four weeks. Here we go.
3: Accountability. And your (laughs) Instagram
2: stories are always cooking delicious food. I see a rainbow of food on your plate. Thank you. I see you taking. I mean, taking the extra time to cook it. It looks delicious every time. Yeah. Really plant based foods with lean meats. It's really not complicated. How's it going, man? How you feeling? Uh, How are your results?
3: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's good. So I uh, I was for sure I had to check in on Monday, and I was for sure that I blew it because it was both my kids' birthdays over the weekend, and I I like I straight up had ice cream for the first time in probably three months. And, Did you feel uh,
2: good afterwards?
3: Uh, I didn't feel good about myself, but I didn't actually. It didn't actually hurt me. Like I Perfect. wasn't. Yeah. Perfect. So, I, I, which I was kind of worried about.
2: Isn't it weird how when you're eating clean, like how you eat, if you choose poorly, it will make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. That's some messed up stuff. Yeah.
3: I, There's weird stuff with food. But I, I'm pretty easy on myself. So, good. <laughs> I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I, I realize that um, not all of us can be elk shape, uh, and and yeah. and and so. Um, you know, I I know that I that I sacrifice at times so that there's times that I can live. Yeah, and uh, and yeah. so uh, it was a, it was a good weekend. But I was in, I've been doing CrossFit I think about six weeks now and been on a nutritional program, macro nutritional program the whole time, and I'm down about seven and a half eight pounds of body fat. Um, gained a little bit of muscle, not as much muscle as I would have liked to have gained, uh, but I am. I, I'm at that point now where I've been doing CrossFit long enough, a month and a half, and I've been eating right, that I feel like I can do more than I've ever been able to do. Oh, yeah. Like I'm that moving. work
2: capacity starts to go.
3: Yeah, I'm recovering a whole lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've bumped up to four days a week uh, now, and intermixing that with just you know, some hiking and, and normal, normal just life, um, but doing something that gets my heart rate up a little bit, um, and I feel great.
2: Well, to peep this. We had uh, the elk shape camp this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. I'm still trying to catch my breath, man. That was, <laughs> it came and went really yeah. fast. But all the work leading up to it, especially like the week of, I kind of did a pretty good job of planning all the logistics. But you know, when it's crunch time, and you're putting on an event, mm-hmm. your whole week shot like you're literally kind of stressed running around like a crazy man. But I felt like we were ready to execute right when the guys showed up and it did go off pretty successful I'm not going to lie like I would say most people sent me um feedback emails that if I was emotional I might even have a tear like these guys were touched <laughs> like we had an impact That's cool. like That's awesome. socks got blown off yeah and my point of this is that I think almost all 20 had never truly done crossfit and this is not mm. a crossfit podcast mm-hmm. but what they had done is maybe some strength or backpacking or whatever, and I didn't I just wanted to expose them to high intensity training mm-hmm. where cool, you're strong. Are you strong when the heart rate's up? Basically, that's what I'm saying is can you mm-hmm. produce force mm-hmm. with a high heart rate under duress? because there's a huge difference in doing a one rep max deadlift at say four hundred pounds when you're fresh versus can you run a mile and then deadlift 400 no. pounds? You know, that a lot of people say, absolutely not. I'm going to lay on the ground. When well, that's true. But so these guys roll in, and they were cool. We warmed up. And our warm-up, I turned up the pace pretty big on them. I, I, treat, I, did, I took them through a warm-up that we used to do with the pro athletes down at Athletes Performance in Arizona. And it was nice. like a 20-minute warm-up. And it was a workout, (laughs) but we had them soaked in sweat. We did a core. We covered crossover symmetry for the shoulders, made them bulletproof and hips and mobility and broke them a really good sweat via calisthenics and stuff. And they were all like, holy crap. And then we did a test out workout. And the test out workout was really just a baseline Mm -hmm. for them to have something to go off when they go home, Mm -hmm. go try some of the things I told them and then retest that workout and see for themselves. Yep. It was cool, man. And then the last workout in the afternoon was I had planned to be five rounds uh, called death bike. 15 cows on the assault bike. Yep. 10 burpees. Five rounds. And I had to call an audible just based on what I saw. So (laughs) I made it six minutes of an AMRAP with a partner. You go, I go. Yeah. So these guys really probably, most of them maybe did two or three rounds of death race with rest. Yeah. But... When when it was Ryan Lampers' turn to talk about backpacking systems and mm-hmm. backcountry nutrition, I'm listening to the audio from all the – you hear almost every guy just in the background coughing. They, I don't think they'd ever <laughs> expose their lungs to yeah. what, what it takes, and I just don't see how – anyways, my point of all this is almost every email back was, I am looking for a CrossFit yeah. when I get home. Nice. I am going to be searching out – and I did talk about shopping CrossFits. Yeah. And I gave them a really good basis on this is what to look for. Here's the questions to ask. Do they give you a free trial? Mm -hmm. Can you test them out? Is it a good fit? Mm -hmm. Do the classes, is it close? Is it convenient? Is the programming? You know, we talked about that. So, But I think we converted 20 people to CrossFit-ish type workouts at least a couple times a week. And I'm not saying that's the the end-all, be-all, I think.
3: Man, but that's life-changing, though. It, it, I mean, it, it, it changes your everyday life, and it changes your hunting life. There's no question about it. Um, I, I, at, what am I, 37, almost 38, like, I feel stronger now than I felt when I was 25. And, and the way I can move in the mountains and the just the, the confidence I have, um, it's changed the way I hunt. Like, I, 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 I see a mountain, and I, th- I don't look at it and go, yeah, there's probably an elk up there. Cool. I look at it and say, let's go find out.
2: Exactly. And Dirk said that in in the, his little sequence of lecture was like, I mean, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like, oh, cool. There's an elk way down that hellhole. hole. Let's go find out if he's a magnum. That's mm-hmm. kind of like a paraphrase. But he said that. That was so cool. And shout out to Dirk, man. Like, you know, he's a guy who's not like lean and mean. Um, he could get in better shape. And he also could have stood on the sidelines because he's a subject matter expert. He's got one okay. job to do, blow on a bugle and teach my guys how to call. Yeah, dude, he strapped up and did everything. <laughs> saw him out there killing himself. He's so was, humble. Yeah, be like Dirk. I thought like that should be a t shirt. He's just such a good dude, and um, he yeah. killed the calling. And so, we're gonna do another camp, uh, it's gonna be in June. Haven't announced the dates yet. I kind of like to line out not the, the venue and all the logistics first, including the partnerships, what the companies can provide these guys, my subject matter experts. Once everything's lined up, then I'll announce it, and then I do think it'll sell out. I think we'll get Nice. And we're going to take it from 20 to 40 athletes. Ooh. Now, it's not that I'm going to have 40 at once blown on a bugle, because that's not going to – but we're going to divide and conquer. I'm calling my buddy, uh, train-to-hunt buddy, Kenton Claremont, who started oh, yeah. train-to-hunt. Yep. Yep. We're getting uh, the band back together, so to speak, uh, for this next one. He's going to come out and help me and uh, run a train-to-hunt simulation out on the range. Yeah. Um, So I'm pretty excited. But we'll share more about that one coming up. I'm going to bring Kenton on the podcast, and we're going to talk about Elk Shape Camp number two. But what caught me off guard was these guys that were emailing in were like, okay, that was so good. Let's do another one, but let's do it just for people that have graduated and do like a 2.0 and go deeper into the topics, which I really liked because there's only like so many hours in a weekend that you can cover. Sure. And uh, we hit – we kind of did a shotgun effect, like try to touch on so many things, but they're hungry for even more, so it's cool. And so all that was a segue, CrossFit, to ask answer this question. This guy said his biggest question is, how do I get out of debt?
1: Hmm. Which
2: I think most people would want to know that answer. And still have enough to keep a nest egg and to hunt. Yeah, He says, how do you train yourself for the mental discipline to stick to that plan? Hmm. Also, I know you'll be a bias here. I think he meant you'll be biased. But... I've been really interested in CrossFit for a couple of years but have a hard time trying to justify $200 a month bill when I work out of town for 21 days, home for 10 days. In your opinion, is it worth it? So he's home for 10 days. Yeah. No, it's not worth it. Um, you need to find a gym that has a punch card system. Yeah. Like we do where you can buy X amount of visits up front. And if they don't offer that, man, these guys are business owners. If you flash some cash in front of them and make a deal, that's great. They may require you to do some fundamental classes. That would be a good indication that it's a good box. If they're just like, oh, sure, we'll take your money. Here's a punch card, and you have no CrossFit experience, don't go there. Yeah. You know, I know you did fundamentals when you even – you'd already had CrossFit experience. You moved up to Sandpoint, and yep. that box made you do fundamentals. Yep. My box would make you do fundamentals, and you, have to, you just have to do that so you don't – do anything stupid. Now you could build a home gym garage too. You could take $200 a month times that by 12. What does that put you at? $2,400 budget. Yeah. Through Craigslist you could get enough stuff for a garage gym.
3: But the culture is invaluable. The coaching and the culture you got to have that. Like it's I don't know. I'm not one of those guys that can just go out in the garage and kill it by myself. And I won't push near as hard unless I'm sitting there with other people and trying to keep up with the gals in my CrossFit gym. Those gals are those
2: gals are tough. Like, that's always my goal is try to keep up with the gals. You should see my wife. Yeah. She's a beast. I am one of those guys that can go into my garage, but I'm here to tell you it's only on, like, my office day. Yeah. Like, I have one office day. It's on Fridays. I, I don't have to go to the gym, and I work there, so I choose to work out at home. Is it as good a workout as if I went to the gym? Absolutely not. But I can do it in the name of elk hunting. So it is hard. That's why I would suggest if you do a garage gym to have a workout partner. Yeah. You have a mutually agreed time to meet. That way when – hopefully it's early in the morning too. So when you want to hit snooze, you know they're coming. When they want to hit snooze, they know that you're waiting. And then that's going to help. And then both of you should look out the corner of your eye. And then we talked about this at Elk Shape Camp. Regardless of your fitness level, even if you and I train together, I'm probably better at CrossFit, right? I've been doing it for 12 years. Pretty much guaranteed. (laughs) I would scale your workout and my workout to where we're finishing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Maybe your sandbag's 30 pounds and mine's 60. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm doing three more additional burpees than you are per round. Mm -hmm. It's still going to hurt us both. It's going to test our fitness where we're at and we should finish about the same time and we can still have that friendly competition that's yep. going to bring out the best in both of us yep and get the results yeah so yeah I, I do think you can afford crossfit i don't know if you can afford not to do crossfit for the long term and i say that to anyone who scoffs yeah. at the price is really price um not you know it comes down to value do you value your health and longevity and your trajectory what's that worth to you um if you can get it done on your own great you you're the unicorn, because most people cannot. Yeah, um, But I think a punch card system would be good to go. What do you think about his question about, man, how do I get out of debt, but yet still have a nest egg, still save?
3: Yeah, it, it depends a lot on the type of debts. Um, you know, I've, I've got clients that have student loans, and uh, there's all kinds of different repayment plans for student loans, and they want to get aggressive about paying off debt. But um, one of the biggest traps that I've seen people fall into is they have this big desire to get out of debt, but they do it at the cost of liquidity in their life. Mm. And so it just creates this cycle where, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I've got some clients right now that they've gotten super aggressive about paying off debt. And my biggest concern to them, I keep voicing is guys, when this is done, I mean, you're, you're dropping like 2,500 bucks a month on this. You need to transition straight into savings, but they're sacrificing so much inside of their life. The The trap is as soon as they're done, they're going to say, okay, now we can go do this and this and this and this. And all of that discipline that they built along
2: the way of paying off that, their debt is lost. And they have to relearn that lesson. So um, how would you balance that? Like, so hopefully your clients aren't listening, but let's use their example. Sure. They're probably eating, quote, rice and beans yeah. and driving clunkers yeah. and living modestly, but they're getting aggressive at 2,500 a month. Is there some give there where you could maybe do like 1,500 a month yeah. and take that 1,000?
3: No, and they're taking they're taking leadership great. Um, and that's, that's basically we we just accomplished one goal of paying off one credit card. And and so one thing, they still have some other debt. And the other thing I told them is I was like, look, you and your wife need to go away for the weekend. Like you need to celebrate that victory. You're not mm-hmm. there yet. But you guys, if you are not celebrating along the way your accomplishments, what are you doing it for?
2: And so. Hey, man, <laughs> that comes down to everything in life, right? Yeah. Like celebrate the small victories. Yep smell the roses have a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> hey, two <laughs> scoops.
3: <laughs> uh, what kind of ice cream was it? A uh, mint chocolate chip. Oh, I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. yeah come at <laughs> so, me. Uh, no cake? Uh, well, maybe. Okay, uh, <laughs> cool, good. Just making sure you're human. Well, so it was my daughter's birthday on Friday and then it was my son's on Sunday. So, uh They're only a day apart? Uh, they're a couple days apart. Yeah. A couple days apart. But uh no, so for this guy that wants to get out of debt, um that's awesome. Like do it, work hard at it, man. You can, you can get yourself out of debt, but a lot of times I've got, again, some other clients that want to get out of debt, but the math isn't there. They just don't have enough income coming in the door. And so we have to, we have to start at their base decision. It's one of the reasons in our, in episode 57, we talked about buying homes. Yeah. When you, when you start buying homes at 29%, um, don't it, do that. It puts you on a path where if, if something goes wrong in life, you don't have the capacity to handle it and you find yourself in debt. And so for a lot of these people, um, these other clients that I'm that I'm talking about, uh, they don't have a home yet, but that is their goal. And so we're, we're looking at that and we're adjusting how much they're having to pay for rent yeah. and and just having to go through and make adjustments across their board so that they have the capacity to tackle the problem that's holding them back from life. Does that make sense? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. So you do have to be really honest with yourself mm-hmm. and look at what's coming in. Mm-hmm. And are you willing to change what's coming in with your time and energy or make some life changes? Let's talk about, you. like you've always you've said on both podcasts now, you're just one life-changing event away from shit hitting the fan. Yeah. Quite honestly. So uh, let's talk about insurance a little bit sure. from your angle. Yep. And kind of educate first and foremost the different types, yeah, advantages, disadvantages, just to kind of create. Because I know there's people wondering about per se, like life insurance, yeah, should I do this version or that? Yeah, give us a little school. Well, I'll do as much as
3: I can in this format, yeah. Um, and so, uh, I am a fan of insurance and not just talking about life insurance, insurance as I sell. The first planning session I have with my clients, I look at every piece of protection that they have. I look at their auto insurance. I look at their homeowners or their renters. I make sure they have an umbrella policy. I look at all their group benefits. I talk to them about legal documents and make sure if they don't have their legal documents, they're on a journey or a path to work with an attorney to get those things in place.
2: Like a living will?
3: Like a living will, powers, mm-hmm. powers of attorney, um, a, a trust if they need it, uh, a traditional or a testamentary will. Um And we also talk about life insurance. What's the difference
2: between those two wills?
3: Uh, So, oh, that's a great question for an attorney. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'll answer it that way.
2: (laughs) We're not either one of those. Yeah, I'm not an attorney. Sorry if you're uh, an attorney
3: and you're listening to that. uh Uh-huh. But life insurance, so life insurance for me – in episode 57, I talk about some of my journey into the financial services industry and how I got into it. And I had these different financial advisors, quote unquote, that were giving me advice and they were all life insurance salesmen and mortgage brokers. Right. And, and so I came into the industry through the life insurance door. Um, and it, I, I went in that way because life insurance was used in my strategy and it fell apart. Like I, I, along with the real estate crashing, I lost a bunch of cash value life insurance, and um, life insurance is a very good vehicle, uh, whether we're talking about just pure protection or building wealth. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't fit inside of the financial plan, if it doesn't, if it doesn't take care of first the protection component and second doesn't fit inside of a financial plan meaning how you're funding it and the amount of money that can, that should go into it as well as funding all the other vehicles, um, it puts you on a path for inefficiency and potentially like what happened to me. Um, and so life insurance for me, is, is it's something that I take a lot of pride in because there is misinformation all across the board. You can jump on Google and you can Google all kinds of different things and you'll get every opinion and pop-ups and everybody's trying to sell you all kinds of different types of life insurance. And you're left as a consumer is going, what the heck do I do? Um, at the end of the day, the most important piece about life insurance is how much you should have the, the types and the kinds, all that stuff. You can figure out along the way, working with somebody that you trust, but how much life insurance you should have is, is a decision that you don't get to go back on if you ever need it. Like there's only one person that I know of that recovered from death. Um, yeah. And so, um, and, and right over there, I've got a picture on my wall. You know, I, I had this client was 46 years old and he had perfect health passed all of his life insurance exams, flying colors, 13 and 15 year old kid, stay home wife and went to bed on a Friday night, not feeling well. I got a call from a sobbing woman at six 30 in the morning on Saturday morning. He had just a random heart attack. And at that point, mm. everything that he everything that he had done to prepare his family's financial future was already set in place. There's nothing that could change at that point. And thankfully, when I met him, he had about $300,000 life insurance, and we added another million on top of that. It still wasn't as much as what I recommended for him. But when, when we look at what happens when someone passes away, when there's a, especially when we're talking about premature death, it's essentially like you you flip a switch and you go into retirement from a financial standpoint when you when you move into retirement it's more of a choice and you say yes i have built up enough assets so that i can stop trading my time and energy for income and my assets can produce the income mm-hmm. when you pass away in a in a premature environment the assets that are created whether they're your retirement assets, your real estate, whatever it may be, as well as the death benefit from a life insurance policy, that's what your family has. And so when we look at the purpose of insurance in general, insurance is to replace an asset. So if, if we look outside and we look at your truck and, you know, you got a nice Dodge and, and you're driving home from here and your Dodge, someone T-bones you and your Dodge is totaled. And then their insurance company shows up and they bring you a 92 Dodge versus your, 14 or whatever's out there. You wouldn't be okay with that. If your house burned down and the insurance company pulls up and they they park a mobile home where your house used yes. to be. You would not <laughs> be okay with that. No, probably not. And so the way people have been taught to make insurance decisions on on all of those traditional types of insurance, um, home, auto, vehicle, you know, all that type of stuff. It, they're they're protecting an asset, but when we talk about life insurance, all of a sudden you see this idea of a needs-based uh analogy or a needs based equation come up. How much life insurance do I need, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. And w- what that does is it it there's you know different formulas the come up with these cute little measurements. Oh, you need to pay off your home, maybe set a little aside for your wife, maybe set a little aside for your kids to go to college. And you get, oh, I need five hundred thousand dollars. And then here's a link to a bunch of different term insurance companies. And at the end of the day, if if you were one of those people that I, I hope and pray that you never pass away prematurely. But if you did and you were able to look back, the amount of money that you'd want to have created for your family in that situation would mean that your wife is not required to go back to work. She may choose to go back to work, but she's not required to go back to work. That everything that you've sacrificed your entire life can continue to happen in that path at the best ability possible. Yeah. And so when we talk about this, when we talk about how much life insurance someone should have, it, it relates directly to retirement planning because from a financial standpoint, they're very similar. So in retirement planning, if, if you handed me a million-dollar check and said, I want to live off of this million-dollar check or this million-dollar check needs to take care of my family for the rest of my life, I'd say, okay, great, we're going to invest it, we'll diversify we'll do all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, you're going to be able to receive or your family will be able to receive about $40,000 a year, maybe $45,000 a year. Which is, which is crazy. It's like, man, that's a million bucks. How can I only take $40,000, $45,000 a year off of it? And it's because you have to protect the asset. The asset is now trying to fill the shoes that were left empty. Yep. And so when you look at, and there's, there's all kinds of studies out there on the market and how to take distributions from retirement accounts, and pretty much all institutions agree, if you have a market-based asset, and that asset has to last as long as you're alive or as long as your wife is alive to provide legacy for kids, it, you you're stuck in about a 4% distribution model. And so I don't know if everyone thinks about that down the road. No, they don't. No, it's 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 often not talked about. It's one of the main things I I work with my clients to help them understand and think about because it's not you're not stuck there. You can get you can get around the 4% distribution model when we're talking about retirement planning, but you got to make decisions today in life so that when you're at 65 or 70 years old you're not stuck. Yeah. And and so it takes a lot of planning work to get get beyond that. But um, in the life insurance world, it, it realistically, if, if you know you passed away and your wife brought me a check for a million bucks, it means that your family is going to be able to receive about forty thousand dollars a year off of it. Yeah, and I don't we, know
2: if people could even imagine; like they don't know about that until you start to re- really look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to last. Um, but if you just cashed it in the bank. Some bad stuff could happen.
3: Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you go through the process. We look at paying off the house and yeah. you know, doing all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it takes a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money to be able to replace someone's income production.
2: Yeah, that's really cool to hear. Do you want to talk about the difference between whole and term? It's just from a, like a Cliff Notes version? Yeah, let me, let me try. Okay,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, so I sell both. Okay. Um and I, I have clients that have both I personally have both um, and they're both appropriate uh, and they're it, it just depends on where you're at in life. Okay and so for a lot of those clients out there that are young and have families, I mean you and I as we look at this and we have our most of our working careers ahead of us, yeah, it's definitely appropriate to have some term insurance. Certainly we may start adding in some more permanent types of insurance along the way. Um, and, and those have a big impact on the retirement planning component, but, um, that's only after other things are accomplished after we have the right savings, after we have the right mortgage, after we've paid off debts. And, and so, um, it's this, it, it just, it is the same thing as with retirement accounts. They're, no. they're all appropriate. You, you really need to have all of these different types of assets that have different economic cycles. They're not correlated to each other from a risk standpoint. um, they have different tax treatments. They have different liquidity, uh, and and because it gives you the ability when you reach retirement, so that you can pull different levers for whatever is going on there at life. Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll say this, and we'll move on to another question. But part of the part of the problem, uh, I was talking with some clients uh, this week, and they asked about how the number. You know, how much money do I need to have, and. There is no such thing.
1: <laughs> there is no
3: number. <laughs> right. It, it, because none of us know what life is going to look like. Fact. Six years ago, I didn't know I was moving to Texas. Five years ago, I didn't move, know I was moving to Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just didn't know. I, I, You know, some of my personal story, I didn't know my wife was going to get sick. Like, and I didn't know what financial yeah. impact that was going to have. And so all we can do is we can set healthy financial principles and follow them. Be yeah. disciplined in our life. Be healthy savers. Um, have... Seek good advice, uh, and and
2: just life is going to be what it is. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that guy's question and start getting into some hunting for those that have stuck with us through this financial. It's not always (laughs) the sexiest topic. However, I love this stuff, man. Like, this is real life for me. I'm Mm -hmm. a blue-collar guy. I'm in my 30s. I got people who depend on me. I'm leveraged. I have a business. If it's meant to be, it's up to me, (laughs) you know, all that kind of stuff. But let's talk about hunting a little bit because that guy had a question about how do I get out of debt? How do I have a nest egg and how do I afford hunting? So let's talk about your typical hunt and the unseen expenses and how to budget for hunting. (laughs) So I guess I can use myself for an example because that's all I know is I like to stash a little bit of cash monthly Mm -hmm. in my hunting budget. Yep. And most of that money is for actual license and tags. Okay. Gas. Sure. I am sponsored by some companies. Mm-hmm. I get some gear, no doubt. But that's not free. There's all, Nothing is free. <laughs> if I'm a company and, I'm, and I sell, say, boots or backpacks mm-hmm. or bows or whatever, and I give you some gear, do you think that I'm just giving that so people see you do that? No. <laughs> I want to return on my investment. I, you know, yeah. these, so I just wanted to say, hey. I do get some stuff, but I don't feel like it's free. There's some expectations with that. Uh, I also don't take stuff that I don't believe in. You know what sure. I mean? Yep. I really am unfiltered. I think people know that. Yeah. I'll shoot you straight. But when it comes to budgeting for gear, that I'm, I'm saving up right now for a $350 inReach. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm putting some money aside. Smart. I yep. wanted it yesterday. I didn't buy it yesterday. I'm waiting until I can pay cash. Mm-hmm. and I want to inReach because I'm going to hunt solo a couple places this year that doesn't have cell phone service, and I need to be able to, you know, reach out to my wife. My wife's pretty rare. She She's one of those ladies, like, I don't have to text every day when I'm hunting. Yeah. And she just feels comfortable with that. Some women don't, and you need to reach out to them every day. But yeah. I want to inReach. Um, gas money for me to get, like, sort of Drew, Wyoming. Uh, that's going to be a long drive. Yeah. That that little ram diesel out there is going to suck down some gas to get there and yeah. back that's going to be at least probably 400 500 bucks in fuel believe sure. it or not yeah um i got to fuel up a, a four-wheeler a dirt bike food um lodging i would never get a hotel unless i was probably 10 15 days on a hunt and yeah. needed and needed a place yeah i'm gonna camp out yep. um the tag itself that's probably a 700 tag sure your um, tag elk tag elk tag. Oh, yep yep awesome Yep. So, I got an Idaho. That's going to be a $160 license, which I've already bought yep. since I killed that cat. For this year, I had to buy a hunting license, so that's paid for. Uh, elk tags, 416 unless they ro- raised it. I'll mm-hmm. probably buy two elk tags. That's going to be 832 You know, I'm already saving for these things coming, but, like, yeah. what kind of, like, you're a hunter. Yeah. You travel and hunt a lot, too. Like, yeah. what what kind of expenses are you seeing, and how do you do it?
3: Man, I you know, I just did this Wyoming trip last year, and, and uh... I think we were eighteen days of hunting, um, and then traveled there and back. And uh, I did. I was was talking to my wife because we were just kind of talking about like having a moment of honesty and what I spend on hunting. Um, Ouch. In in my relationship, I'm the spender, which doesn't make sense. (laughs) Like I know what to tell people, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to like be very careful. Stay in in your lane, right? Yeah. yeah. Know your role. (laughs) So, but I think at the end of the day, between fuel. Because that trip, uh, that trip, we ended up doing more driving and glassing than I was expecting. I I think I spent close to a thousand bucks on that trip in just fuel. Yeah. And then oh gosh, yeah. And then you have a seven hundred dollar tag. Uh, and then there, there turned out to be from where we set our base camp about five miles down the road. There was a great bar. Um, and so we ended up, uh, yeah, (laughs) and not, I'm not a big drinker or anything like that. But the food when you're hunting never tastes better. Oh my goodness, man. Nothing like coming out to get a big old burger or some wings or something like that when you're hunting.
2: Heck yeah! So,
3: um, I spent a couple hundred bucks, I think all said and done that trip, um, in I'll also say this. I have friends that live there that are outfitters. And so my entire camp was outfitted. I didn't have to pay for any of that. Like is was, you was just to
2: tip a guide.
3: No, I didn't cool. tip a guide. It's just, just there with my high school buddy. And,
2: Oh, that's great. Um,
3: and so good people, but I think I was probably too grand into that trip.
2: And you know, how many years of buying points did you have to, Oh man, budget that, was, in there?
3: that was eight years worth of deer points for that. I think.
2: And what's that 30 bucks for deer or 50?
3: Uh, Boy, I think it's like – I can't – I don't know what they break out. I think it's 30 or 40 for deer. Yeah. It's like 120 for deer, elk, and antelope every year. So Yeah.
2: So there's times um, eight. And then um, what if you kill a 180-inch mule deer? Are you going to just uh, throw it in the shed? Or, do it, <laughs> you know, there's taxidermy sure. at some point, not for yep. – for me, for mostly, yeah. I try to avoid taxidermy at all well,
3: costs. So I don't have that problem with killing
2: 180-inch mule deer. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, either do I. I'm an you, elk guy. You but. can
3: look around, and most of my, like, I, I think my biggest buck is downstairs. And I what did. about
2: processing your own meat? Yeah. Or do you take it to I, a...
3: I process all my own Okay, meat, so that'll so. save money. I started yeah.
2: doing that years ago. Yeah. And there was only one time in the last maybe 10 years where I didn't process my elk. And the only reason it was is I had to go on another hunt. Yeah. And I literally hated yeah. it. I took it in. Um, they did a good job, but I could, I, I, it was over 200 bucks or something. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember going, well, that was a waste of money and I like to cut my own meat. I feel like I take better care. I'm more, you know, anyways, so there's always hidden expenses. Then how many guys do you hear that go on these road trips and things go wrong? Oh yeah, they blow a tire. It's, something mechanically with their. Engine I was amazed. Or transmission. In, I was
3: amazed in Wyoming we didn't have something go wrong. I mean, we were in some rough terrain and and we never broke down. We never blew it. Well, no, I guess I got a flat tire on the first day I was there, but it was repairable. Should be it was expected. Like, yeah, it was like twenty bucks. Um, what
2: about the guys that are driving that haven't thought that far ahead and maybe yeah. you should have an extra wheel and tire.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so to get back to your guys' question, I mean, someone that's someone that wants to go do these trips and is. But they're looking at their life and saying, I've got some debt. I don't have some savings. You just have to be healthy financially. Like there's no way around it to, to, to be able to go on some of these larger trips like you see people do. You need to be healthy financially financially. And, and so it means that you've got to have a strategy in place to get out of debt. You've got to have your liquidity. You've got to be making smart decisions with your money. You can't buy too much home. You can't go out and finance, you know, every part of your life, the truck and the ranger and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Um, because it's you're just going to limit your ability to use those things. And so to for someone like that, um, the other big thing I, I tell them is they got to build community. Like I'm not, I'm not one of you, you talk about going solo by yourself. I'd go nuts by myself. I love hunting with other people. I want to be there with other people. Yeah. I could do it if I have to, especially if I'm like on a meat run or something like that. Right. But at the end of the day, everything I've learned from hunting is from other people. Yes. And, and so if there's a hunt that I want to go do, um, you know, an elk hunt or whatever, a bear hunt like this year, I'm going to go bear hunting with people that know bear hunting far better than I do. and And so it's going to lower my overall cost because I'm not going to have to travel as much. Um, I, I will be able to be more successful in the field. Um, I can leverage the fact that I don't have a spotter. Like I don't have 2500 bucks right now to drop on a spotter. And so I'll be with people that have that. And so as a community, same thing with processing meat. When I process meat, usually I do it with a group of guys. And we all have different pieces of equipment. One person has the grinder and the sealer and the sausage stuff. Oh, that's so cool. And, and so we get together and we have it. I mean, it's 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 something we look forward to every single year.
2: That's part of the process. That's yeah. awesome. And I just so. think of that. Well, coming from a solo elk hunter, yep. I'd strictly do it out of just probably, <sighs> I want to get the job done. And I know yeah. I can get it done. But I do enjoy hunting with other people. And there's the camaraderie, the community. I totally understand. And it can help economically. Well, we went pretty deep on this one. We covered some good stuff. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we shut this bad boy down? Um, no, man, I think, I think we, we covered most of the questions.
3: Um, you know, a, a lot of these questions that guys sent in or gals sent in here, um, are really good questions that people face every single day. And, I think the thing that we have to look at when we're looking at that, do we do a 4% pay extra on a 4% mortgage or 10% mutual fund? It's it's something that you have to say, what else is going on? What type of ripple impact does this create throughout the rest of my world? And you have to have some sort of environment to be able to look at that and measure it so that you don't wake up and five years down the road and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have invested in that mutual fund or yeah. I wish I wouldn't have thrown my money at my mortgage because you, you have to have financial balance across the board. and And so... We've been taught to ask questions and look at that, comparing, comparing rates of return, and at the end of the day, being financially healthy is not cookie cutter. It's it complex. Everything impacts everything, and you need to look at it from a holistic perspective.
2: I couldn't agree more, and I love the parallels between hunting, fitness, finance. Everything kind of boils down to like having self-control, not letting things control you, working with somebody like your spouse or partner, to really hold yourself accountable to what you set out to do, delayed gratification, doing the small things, setting the small goals, celebrating the small victories along the way, Mm -hmm. and knowing that nothing's certain. And life is actually certainly going to be uncertain. And these uncertainties are okay as long as you're prepared for them um, and have some good resources. So I'm going to give you another chance to plug your deal because, man, (laughs) honestly, it's not – like you just have a great take. Um, I don't – I come over to your house. I don't see you living on Pendry Lake with, (laughs) you know, a big souped-up truck and ATV. Like you live very modestly for what you do. My desk is 2 by 12s Yeah. But, man, you have great uh, just perspective. Your lens is really clear on – Okay. Sound decision. So where can people just, like, reach out to you? Because you are a hunter. Sure. It's nice to reach out to a fellow hunter who yeah. can speak your language. Where do we find you, man?
3: Absolutely. Um, my my website is uh, – you can Google Financial Outfitters Group. The link is finoutfitters, fin com. Um, you can check it out there. It talks a lot about my story and what I do, how I help people. Um, you can hit me on Instagram, Bynum Life, B-Y-N-U-M Life. That's, that's just my personal Instagram. So, I share a lot of my stories
2: there. I love your stories. Thanks, man. Thank yeah, you do a doctor. good job. Just yeah. kind of showing your food, yeah. your fam, your workouts, yeah. your hunts. So <laughs> try to try to keep it real. So. And you're going squirrel hunting this Sunday or yeah, Saturday? Heck yeah. yeah. Have I'm, you ever
3: been before? Uh, well, I mean, I've shot squirrels before, but I've never done a dedicated squirrel trip. Me so, neither. So yeah. <laughs> this is going to be life changing.
2: You better be cooking up some squirrels, man.
3: Yeah. So the question is, do I go 22 or 20 gauge? I'm leaning 20 gauge, man. I'm I'm
2: all about the meat. So uh, you know. Oh man, I don't know. I think you'd be all right with either. Yeah. Um I don't know. I used to shoot squirrels with a pellet gun yeah. when I was a kid growing up. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. um I don't know. But I I've never had squirrel, have you?
3: Uh I've eaten one or two, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get fancy with these ones. I'm thinking like uh, I've got a I've got a wing recipe that's kind of like this Asian uh Asian recipe for wings and so I'm gonna try doing that with some squirrel parts.
2: Cool. Well, if people keep reaching out, maybe we'll do a part three and then, you know, yeah. I'm going to ask you about your CrossFit progress. <laughs> so st- keep the hammer down. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely, man. And, uh, I'm headed to go record the next podcast with Sweet. another local legend and, uh, we'll talk about bears. So tune into that one and we'll get you, uh, probably back on and hear about your first bear hunt slash kill. Heck yeah. That's I can't wait. that would be cool. I can't wait too.
1: Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Dan. Awesome. Take Thanks. care. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.
3: Please listen to these sweet disclosures. As the founder of Financial Outfitters Group, I'm also a financial representative for Guardian and Registered Representative Financial Advisor for Park Avenue Securities, LLC, uh, PAS, PASS. Our office is 1 Museum Place, 3100 West 7th Street, Suite 350, Fort Worth, Texas, 76107, office number 682-233-7770. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC, Financial Representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York Life, New York. PASS, Park Avenue Securities, is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Financial Outfitters Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with nor endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Financial Outfitters Groups, and the opinions stated are their own. Any advice given in this podcast needs to be applied on an individual basis with a professional. Thanks for listening.